From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with you today with my friend and colleague, Adam Turnquist. Adam, how are you today? Hey, happy Monday, Jeff. Good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, we're celebrating uh, another tick above 4,200 on the S&P 500. Certainly a key technical level. So since we got a lot of interesting things going on technically, Adam, I am glad uh, you are with me this week. Um, so that's kind of the highlight of the market recap section. Back to the battle line yeah. of 4,200. Here's the uh, rest of the agenda that we have for you today. Uh, it is Monday, May 22nd, 2023, as we're recording this uh, Monday afternoon. Uh, next, we'll we'll talk about some breadth indicators and some chart breakouts, uh, followed by a technical take on bonds and then a preview of the week ahead where we have the Fed minutes on Wednesday and we have the core PCE deflator, which is the Fed's preferred inflation measure. Uh, so uh, starting with the market recap, um, so uh, Adam, we, we, we've talked about this a lot, you know, over the past month or so about the technical resistance. So um, we've just touched 4,200. Uh, my first question for you is how long do we have to be above 4,200 to call it a breakout? Yeah, good question. And I think you got to keep the champagne on ice here for the rest of the week, because I like the weekly close above a key resistance level. So that would be what we're looking here technically um we're just about there or right around that level today um going into the close here but certainly a constructive technical backdrop when you look at where we're at just you know going back to those those october lows you know we've been making making a series of higher highs and higher lows we're now above a rising 50 and 200 day moving average momentum actually changed last week we got a macd buy signal that stands for moving average convergence divergence, basically a momentum indicator that looks at two moving averages to determine kind of a buy or sell position. So that flipped into a buy signal last week. Um, I give a buy signal in an uptrend a little bit more weight in terms of its probability of being right. So we'll see if that plays out. And when you look at short positions in the S&P 500, they continue to pile on. So if you look at the bottom panel of the chart we brought today, that's the short futures positions for the S&P 500 E-minis, and they're at the highest level since June of 2020. And the headlines back then, I was looking using Google search to, to you know read through the news, and it was, this is just another bear market rally, kind of the same tone that we're getting um, from a lot of the headlines today. So a lot of negativity in the market. I think if we can actually have a sustainable breakout above 4200 we could see some short covering rally quickly move the index to those august highs that we've also talked about a little bit right around 4300 that's another big retracement level of last year's bear market i think that one's going to be another problematic level to get through but i think it could be a relatively quick trip to get there um just given where the sentiment is right now in the market and where futures positions are and then just this most recent change in momentum. So a pretty good setup as we retest that key level right now. Yeah, maybe the debt ceiling will will get us uh, clearly through that 4,200 level and maybe more shorts uh, uh, capitulate and, and we're at 4,300 pretty quickly. Uh, so thank you for that, Adam. Um, here's the intramarket performance from last week. 
you know, there you see another good week for the S&P 500 up 1.7%. Uh, we're actually up about 10% for the year now, total return. Uh, so, um, you know, for those who may have thought a double digit year was not attainable, um, we're already there and we're not even at the halfway point. You know, we, of course, don't know if it's going to hold, uh, but we think there's certainly a, a decent chance that, that stocks can make up more ground uh, in the uh, in the coming months. Interestingly, Europe and Japan have done even better. They're better over the past six months, uh, which you see uh, in this table. Uh, the euro stocks 600 and the Nikkei 225. Uh, they are also both better year to date uh, in dollars. So we have in our tactical asset allocation for LPL research moved away from the US a little bit and toward um, uh, international. In terms of uh, sectors, Adam, it was a big growth week. I mean, we had uh, right tech and uh, consumer discretionary do well. Yeah, I think the, the big story, too, is how well tech did, despite the tenure moving up 20 basis points. I actually looked back at history to see how often has tech rallied 4% during a week where the tenure the was up 20 basis points. Uh, a pretty rare occurrence. Less, I think it's right around 1% of the time. But the last time we actually had the sector rally over 4% and the tenure up 20 basis points was in July of 2011, if you remember that period, that was also a debt ceiling uh, drama or debate or crisis, whatever you want to call it during that period. So an interesting uh, anecdote, at least from, from history there. So we're actually going to talk about 2011 again uh, during this podcast. So that'll be a, a recurring theme. Stay tuned for that. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been a growth led year. It's, you know, whether you're looking at a week, a month, three months, six months, uh, you pretty much see um, uh, growth outperforming primarily uh, tech and consumer discretionary. You know, there's a little bit of um, um, AI enthusiasm going on here, right? Artificial intelligence certainly uh, playing into the mega cap tech strength. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe just putting it more simply, when growth is scarce, you tend to see growth stocks do better than value. And so now as we, you know, maybe slow down, uh, coming off of a you know pretty solid GDP the last couple quarters, and transition potentially to a mild recession uh, around year end, makes sense that that growth would do uh, a little bit better. So a couple things going on there in terms of fixed income. You know we had rates tick up. You just mentioned it, Adam. So that weighed on bond returns. I mean at three point seven on the ten year, you know bonds can offer some pretty good returns. So we're we continue to be neutral. Uh, in our recommended tactical asset allocation. Uh, on the commodity side, you know, everybody's been watching gold. That's maybe another bullish indicator that, that gold's been um, struggling a little bit here over the last uh, uh, week or two. Yeah, certainly. We the, the kind of a relief rally in the dollar has certainly weighed on gold. Um, just more recently, you know, the dollar was pretty oversold, um, caught a bit off, off a key support level that we were watching. And we had this kind of relief rally back the other way. We have not reversed the downtrend, <clears throat> excuse me, on the dollar at this point. Looks like um, maybe a potential spot where you'd see the, the dollar start to weaken as that momentum fades into that the longer term downtrend. But certainly weighing um, on gold, at least on a short term basis, you know, energy was uh, finally up last week. That's a big contributor to the overall um, Bloomberg Commodity Index. 
which was flat on the air. So it kind of balanced out, but still looking for more technical evidence in terms of where WTI crude oil is. You know, it's it's managed to hold above its March lows, but really not enough, not enough evidence right now to make the case for a bottom in crude oil, I don't think. So another another commodity that we're watching closely though. I would argue that the most important thing in commodities right now is is deflationary, right? Falling commodity prices or disinflationary, right? Helps cool inflation. And it's certainly uh, uh, been doing that in recent months. Uh, so um, just kind of wrapping up the discussion of um, the S&P 500 here. I thought this was um, really interesting. You know, I, I kind of took a concept from Bespoke uh, Investment Group and and altered it a little bit and kind of made it my own study. Uh, if you look at all of the years where we've been up 8% or more through 96 trading days, so that's as of this past Friday, uh, you actually see the rest of year is positive almost every time. And a lot of these years are strongly positive. Um, the, um, you know, 1987, clearly not, right? We had a strong start to the year, which is part of why we had the 87 crash. So that is clearly a very unique situation. The only other decline rest of year, so we're talking about the 150 trading days roughly after the first 96. Um, the only other time we were down was 1975, and that was marginally lower. You've been up an average of 9.5%, and you've been up 90% of the time. So you know, this is just one example of a study that suggests that you know maybe it's a little too early to get bearish. You know, for folks who feel like they have too much risk, maybe that 4,200 to 4,300 range makes sense uh, on the S&P 500 as a place to consider trimming. But boy, it's hard to sell into a study like this, Adam. Yeah, I was surprised by the results of this. I mean, it, it also overlaps with some of the other seasonal studies that we've published on, you know, that's years following a down year are typically higher trifecta years with that January barometer and Santa Claus rally, um, you know, positive there by double digits and then just midterm election year. So it kind of just goes into that seasonal tailwinds, at least historically what we've seen. Um, but yeah, certainly some pretty impressive numbers for the remainder of the year, at least historically. Yes, uh, there's certainly a lot of reasons to be bearish. We talk about it or we hear it from the media about it every day. But you know, you say it all the time, Adam, the weight of the evidence points, you know, maybe to um, higher being more likely than than lower. Um, so let's, let's continue the technical discussion uh, and get into uh, a look at breadth and then some breakouts. This, this is the fun section, right? Um, so, you know, a lot of attention, Adam, on how the mega cap techs have been leading this market and we haven't been getting a lot from the rest of the market. And that's true. That's just math, right? If you take out the mega cap techs of the, the top seven names, the market is basically flat year to date. So, you know, it's true that those those big names are carrying us. Uh, but is there anything that you can tell, um, you know, from looking at the breadth of the entire market that maybe suggests uh, we shouldn't be too worried about that? Yeah, I mean, certainly mathematically, that makes sense. If you just take you know the extreme rallies in some of the mega cap names and their weighting, they're obviously huge contributors to this year's advance. Um, so we'll we'll give you that one, but it's not as terrible as it sounds. Um, you know, when you look at some of the breath metrics that we look at, 
you know, you have around 30% of stocks outperforming the S&P 500 this year. That's a historically low number. But when you look at the actual composition of what stocks are outperforming, you have 59% of tech stocks that are beating the market. I think that's a pretty constructive sign, just given the weighting of tech within the S&P 500. You also have nearly, or call it 47% of consumer discretionary stocks outperforming the S&P 500. So if I were to pick a couple sectors that had the highest percentage, those would probably be the two, just given their weighting and then the, the read-throughs in terms of their more cyclical, um, you know, their cyclicality in terms of the economic cycle. Um, so there's some positives that go along with it. I, I guess we call them bright spots. We have seen a shift um, just really earlier this month with some of the more defensive names with healthcare um, starting to to put up some better breath. Same with staples. That one's hard to ignore. So it's kind of a really a mixed picture overall. I would consider it okay at best. Certainly would like to see financials participate a little bit more. I think that would be a key piece of the puzzle for a breakout above 4,200. I think we would need some of these breath metrics to look a little more constructive, but overall I would, I would give it the, the okay, um, okay at best for right now. We've been advocating for more balance between, you know, the cyclical sectors and the defensive sectors. But if you are looking for defensives, I mean, it's interesting that you know staples and healthcare uh, are uh, starting to look better. I think those would certainly be our choices over utilities at this point, and certainly over real estate, uh, which does has some uh, defensive characteristics. So um, let's look at some breakouts now, Adam. I think, I mean, you, you've already mentioned tech. This is just the chart of the S&P 500 tech sector. I mean, th this looks like, um, you know, a real favorable chart pattern here. I mean, we're talking about yeah. breakouts that, you know, that are clearing levels that we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, I would, I would say this one's firing on all cylinders. When you start with the absolute price chart on top, you can see we've been climbing higher really since we made those December lows. We're now back above the August highs. That was a key level that we were watching technically. Took quite a few tries to get through it. And you can see last week we cleared that the, the August high level pretty decisively. And now the sector is trending higher above its rising moving averages. Looks like we're setting up for a retest of the March uh, 2022 highs. So some more upside to go on the absolute and then you're also getting a breakout on the relative chart. That's the bottom panel comparing the sector to the S&P 500. And that cleared the December 21 highs, which is another level we are watching very closely. So you're getting the breakout on the absolute and the relative basis. And which is crazy on that bottom chart. That's the highest level on that ratio chart since uh, 2000. So maybe not the best analog, but directionally, you know, the trend is your friend here with the, with the tech sector relative to the S&P 500. Yeah, pullbacks will happen, hopefully not as big as what we saw for tech in 2000. But uh, the, the point being, when you break out, what, what's the expression? The, the wider the base, the more room in space or something like that, <laughs> yeah, <this is> <laughs> right? You know, I'm, the, I'm not the technician. You can tell just from how I, I butchered that comment. But when you break out, of, we're talking about it with Japan too, which is, uh, the next chart, right? When yeah. you are breaking out to levels, whether it's a relative chart or an absolute chart that you haven't seen in decades, you know, it's really uh, eye-opening. And I think, you know, when you can combine the breadth 
you know, we have decent breadth in tech. We have good breadth in Japan with these yeah. breakouts can set up for a nice run. Yeah, absolutely. This is looking at the MSCI Japan index. And you had kind of this initial breakout from this multi-year or multi-month, we'll call it consolidation range. That's the kind of the red and the, the green boxes. And it's continued higher um, just recently clearing those uh, September 21 highs. So now you're at the highest level since I think it's June or July of 1990. And this breakout's occurring on gaps higher, continuous gaps higher. So very good momentum in terms of the price action. You can see in the middle panel, that's the relative strength index, a momentum oscillator that we like to look at. You're extremely overbought right now. And um, I always like to say, you know, overbought does not mean over. This to me is more validation of the breakout. You want to be overbought. Um, if you have a momentum indicator that's making a, a new low or not overbought, especially when you're making like a, a new major high, uh, that's what we would call more of a divergence. So we're getting confirmation here with momentum and also on the relative uh, basis, you can see in this bottom panel, that's MSCI Japan versus the all country world index. And you're just getting back above those March highs. So another um, less meaningful, but an important breakout on relative strength as well. And we're seeing that ratio chart move above its rising 50 and 200 day moving averages. So I think this one has some sustainability, um, certainly a little overbought, could see a little bit of a shorter term pullback, but directionally, I think this moves higher. Um, I know valuations, I don't I don't know if uh, you're going to touch on that, look relatively cheap in Japan. Obviously, they're they're kind of the the last frontier in terms of that ultra dovish policy with the Bank of Japan keeping things uh, contained with their yield curve control program. And it doesn't sound like that's going to change, even though they did get a new Bank of Japan governor. So we'll see how that plays out. But right now, it looks like um, we're seeing pretty good inflows into Japan. Yeah, certainly uh, Warren Buffett made a lot of headlines about his uh, investments in Japan. And, um, you know, they've been struggling fighting deflation for decades. This inflationary environment is actually good for them. <laughs> you know, as, as odd as that is, uh, inflation in Japan is good. You know, and then with the rest of the world not growing all that fast, Japan, you know, they've been growing pretty slowly for a long time. On a relative basis, that looks okay. So you've got a really cheap market that compares uh, better than it has in recent decades on a macro level. It's just made for almost a perfect storm of, of positives here, where you have fundamentals, valuations, technicals, all kind of aligning. And uh, this is one of our favorite ideas uh, right now, no doubt. So, um, you know, in the interest of being balanced, uh, Adam, you wanted to put in a more of a bearish chart, I guess? Yeah, um, this one's def definitely... You definitely you qualifies as bearish. We'll, we'll give you that. And this is looking at the S&P 500 utility sector. And it was in an uptrend um, for most of, you know, the last, call it last year or part of last year. And we started to see utilities roll over. You can see on this chart, we've had lower highs going since September of, or really September of last year. Had a little bit of a relief rally more recently off support. That ended right at that downtrend, right around the 200-day moving average. That's the spot where I always say relief rallies go to die, and that's pretty much what happened here. We've seen price action subsequently roll over. Now you're back below your both your 200 and your 50-day moving average. Looks like we're going to go retest those March lows here for the utility sector. 
And then when you compare it on a relative basis versus the S&P 500, this is even more concerning because you're breaking below those March lows already. Clearly, there's a, a downtrend in play right now for utilities, so meaning that there's likely more underperformance ahead for the sector. You're at over a year low on that ratio chart. So again, looks like some more potential downside or underperformance for utilities. Certainly higher rates have, have weighed on, you know, these the sector just recently and some of those risk on flows, you know, even last week, for example, utilities was an underperformer. So look for more of that, I think, ahead. Great. Thank you, Adam. Let's go to, to uh, fixed income. We've touched on yields a little bit, but not much. Uh, so um, the tenure has been inching higher. Um, should we be worried about, you know, a break above 375? Maybe we go back to four. Uh, what do you see for the tenure? Yeah, so we've kind of been stuck in this really short-term kind of consolidation range. We did get a divergence with momentum. That's the middle panel, the, that MACD indicator. So we're seeing, you know, higher lows here with MACD that moved into a buy position. So that was you know, a pretty good signal that we could get a top side breakout from that range. And that's really what played out just recently. So I think, you know, upside here is going to be relatively limited. Call it, you know, 388 uh, to 4%, I think would be kind of the, the cap in terms of where resistance sets up. You're still fighting against this downtrend that's been in place since last October. And keep in mind, you're also still fighting potentially the Fed, especially if they are in the pause camp, or we start talking more about rate cuts. Uh, I know you're going to talk a little bit about that um, on the upcoming slide here, but um, you look at the bottom panel, the short contracts for 10-year treasury futures, meaning they're wagering on yields going higher. They are actually at record highs. So there's a ton of money in the market right now, um, pricing in higher yields. Uh, keep in mind, a lot of times that record or, or extreme positioning in futures contracts is actually more of a contrarian sign. So I, I don't put a ton of weight in that being rec, uh, record high. Uh, a lot of times, like I said, that plays out in the opposite direction. But I think you could realistically maybe get back to kind of that that uh, close to 4% on, as a, as a um, kind of a max upside here for 10-year yields. Yeah, so maybe folks have put on their hedges already and there's nobody left to do more hedging. And that sets up a maybe um, lower. Um, and we also, um, you know, we know uh, that, well, we think that this economy is, you know, potentially heading for a mild contraction, maybe the end of this year, maybe it slips into early 2024. That should be, you know, negative for rates. And then Fed pauses tend to be negative for rates. Um, we have that not on this slide, but on the next slide. So, you know, we wouldn't be too worried about the risk of yields, you know, spiking through 4% and going much higher. We think the, you know, the downward pressure will will offset some of the upside pressures. And there are upside pressures, right? Maybe this economy yeah. does a little bit better than people think. You know, the Fed's still considering uh, hiking rates in June. We don't think they will, but it's certainly possible. The job market is still tight. You know, rental inflation, you know, real estate inflation is still a little bit of an issue. Um, so, uh, you know, there could be a little bit of a move higher in rates from here, uh, on a fundamental basis. The fed is obviously, um, you know, not only are they potentially going to raise rates again, uh, but they're also doing QT, 
you know, reducing the size of their balance sheet <clears throat> by selling bonds, which is rate positive. So, you know, we're not just sort of discounting the the risk of higher rates, but it just we just think the negatives to rates offset um, the positives. So, so this chart, uh, Adam, uh, is interesting. I don't think we've we've shown uh, this chart before on this call. Just stocks versus bonds. So, what what is this? Um, what, what looks like a pennant uh, yeah, pattern? Exactly. You've been you've been doing your studying on technicals. I see. So you can uh, call that a pennant or symmetrical triangle. But yeah, fundamental guys are coming. Look out. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, this is the ratio chart, just a simple one of the S&P 500 versus the 10-year treasury price. So we're stacking them up, you know, in this stocks versus bonds scenario, higher meaning, you know, stocks are favorable. If it's moving lower, that would be uh, bonds would be more favorable. And sticking with this breakout or breakdown theme for today, we're starting to see a breakout here on this stocks versus bonds ratio chart kind of consolidating for really the last year, a little over a year, at least on the ratio chart. And now we witnessed a breakout just last week on this chart. So more, you know, more evidence of potential, uh, a, you know, money moving into equities. I think, you know, if you're in a, in a bull market or at least an uptrend, it's, you certainly want to see stocks outperforming bonds. So we're getting some evidence of that here. And I don't necessarily mean, or I don't think it necessarily means that we're, you know, um, with the, with the yields right now that it's really directional. I think it's more of a story of yields consolidating, which allowed equity markets to start advancing. Um, so I think that's that's how I'm looking at it as more of a takeaway versus any directional call on at least the 10 year right now. Yeah, in our asset allocation, we're, we're neutral fixed income and we're shifting a little bit of cash into equities to fund a small equity overweight. Um, so that's that's consistent with the picture that you see here. Um, here's the, uh, by the way, these are charts from our weekly market commentary, at least a couple of them uh, for this week, available on LPL.com, where we talk about the outlook for fixed income for the rest of the year. Um, we showed this chart last week, but it's just important and really fits in with the story here. Um, this is just the path of the 10-year yield after the Fed has completed its rate hiking cycles uh, since uh, 2000. And you see here, they're all lower. Um, particularly 1995, which uh, Adam was a soft landing, as you've pointed out to me recently. Um, but, um, you know, even 06, where you were clearly heading for a bad economy for a number of reasons, rates, um, you know, I mean, they were down, they weren't down sharply. Um, I mean, this tells you that maybe 375 holds on the upper end and you know, inflation keeps coming down. Maybe we're, maybe we're at three five in in a year. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a, a fair assumption, and I, I think the macro forces alone, if you just take out the the technical picture, would certainly point to that as well. So I, I think, you know, the, the certainly where policy, at least how we see it now, um, that would make sense. Yeah, so we're comfortable with with a full allocation of bonds, you know, consistent with your target, even though we've had this massive move higher in rates uh, over the last couple of years. We think it's just about done. Um, so uh, Adam, let's preview the week. Good good technical discussion, a lot of uh, interesting ideas for folks to consider. Um, the, um, I mean, the highlights of the week are the uh, Fed minutes on Wednesday. And I say this every time the Fed minutes show up here. 
they shouldn't be market moving because it's just telling us what we should already know, right? You know, the Fed, you know, they have the Powell press conference, they, you know, go out on the speaker circuit. And we've heard from, I think, 14 different Fed speakers in the last week, something like that. <laughs> I mean, it's just um, dizzying, frankly, how many um, Fed presidents and governors are are talking now. And so that trans transparency reduces the chances that we get a surprise in the minutes. So we're not going to, you know, necessarily say that that's going to be uh, market moving, but the odds of a rate hike in June are now around 30%. Hopefully that comes down a little bit. We don't think they should hike again, and we don't think they will. Um, and then turning to the right, so Adam, we got personal income and spending with the PCE deflator. Um, you know, inflation is so key to where this market goes from here. The debt ceiling, there's the 2011 comparison again, right? We don't think we're going to have another 2011 with the debt ceiling where we get an, you know, an S&P downgrade uh, and, and default fears uh, intensify or anything like that. So once we get past that, I think the markets, and we're done with earnings pretty much. Uh, I got an earnings slide next. It's really going to be inflation. While we kind of wait to see if we're going to get a recession or not, or how bad it might be, inflation is the key driver for this market. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get a little glimpse of that on, on Friday with, with obviously with the PCE and then the University of Michigan um, survey data that comes out as well. So should be an interesting, or I think a welcome distraction from some of the deal or, or no deal debt ceiling drama that we're continuously listening to. Yeah, when, when people uh, listen to this podcast, they'll probably know uh, whether the Monday discussions between McCarthy and Biden were productive. Well, maybe we'll see more theater, uh, which is what we've seen the last few days where, you know, somebody uh, storms out and says you're being ridiculous, <laughs> right? Could be either side, frankly. Uh, but um, uh, you know, the fact remains that everything's pointing to this taking more time right up to the deadline. Um, which my, I guess the last I saw, maybe June 8th, they could get to, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs highlighted that date, but Yellen and others have been pointing to June 1 because we've had uh, soft tax receipts, right? The government has soft tax receipts and they run out of money sooner. So, um, you know, we're running out of time. <laughs> so we're getting close yeah. to that 11th hour that everybody's been talking about. So everybody's going to focus on the debt limit talks, of course. Um, but inflation, I think, is going to be probably the, the the biggest driver of of the week, uh, as long as nothing crazy happens, uh, either with the debt limit or with uh, geopolitics. I guess the, this University of Michigan um, survey of long term inflation expectations will also be interesting because uh, that ticked up uh, last month. We certainly want that to come down a little bit, consistent with the path uh, of inflation. Uh, that we've seen over the past year. So um, wrapping up with, with earnings, we also get another 25 or so earnings reports over the next couple of weeks. So I wanted to squeeze in uh, a quick summary of this. We got uh, we get an NVIDIA this week, which is a big name, but mostly it's just going to be smaller names, some retailers, uh, which typically kind of bring up the back end. Uh, so, you know, with that, small uh, of a number of companies left. We're not going to see these numbers change and they're very good. 
you can see here on the screen, the beat rates, 79% on earnings, 75% on revenue. Those are very, very good, you know, especially in a challenging environment. Uh, two numbers, I think, on here that are really good. Uh, the down 1.8% for earnings year over year. We were looking at down seven when reporting season started. That is really nice upside, better upside than we've seen the last few quarters. And I think a surprise to many, The probably the biggest reason for that surprise is margins. Margins actually went up quarter over quarter. I don't know of anyone who saw that coming. I, I, think, <laughs> That's a I think that was a shocker to everybody, frankly. Uh, and I follow a lot of shops uh, and read a lot about earnings, you know, previews and whatnot. And and that was that was not on the radar, <laughs> not even for me. And I consider myself kind of a perennial earnings bull. Um, the other thing here that's really positive, Adam, is the um, resilience of estimates. Right, typically they fall close to three percent during earnings season. Um, maybe, I think the average is two and a half, but somewhere in that two and a half to three percent range. And this earnings season, they only fell one percent, you know, which doesn't sound great, but it's better than we normally get. And remember, there are a lot of folks out there, really smart folks doing a lot of rigorous analysis that are pointing to, you know, five to 10 percent more downside to estimates this year. So, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, market participants are underestimating the earnings power of corporate America. Yeah, I, I think uh been quite a surprise this year for earnings. And I mean, uh, just the overall consumer strength, especially some of the commentary you'll, you'll hear in some of the retail um, calls, at least I was reading through some of those. It was definitely not pointing to a full-blown recession anytime soon by some of the retailers. So some constructive comments around the, the overall consumer, which has certainly helped, I think, prop up some of these numbers. Backset counts the number of words that are interesting in these transcripts. And they've actually seen among the lowest numbers of mentions of recession in the past five quarters and the lowest number of references to the word inflation over the last four or five quarters. So um, you'd have to say those are uh, positive developments too. Um, frankly, corporate America is doing just fine. They've been preparing for a downturn for a while. And um, again, markets just underestimated the earnings power. And this has been bullish, of course, for stocks. And one of the reasons why we, you know, what are we now, like 17% off the October lows now, I think. Uh, so, um, you know, and up again, 10% year to date, roughly, uh, as we're recording this, um, earnings have been one of the factors uh, that have helped drive, drive stocks higher. Uh, and we think they could continue to surprise, frankly, to the upside with expectations as low as they are. So um, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap. Um, thanks, Adam, for uh, walking through those charts. Really, uh, really interesting stuff. A couple of investment ideas there for, um, for folks listening. Uh, as always, thanks for joining. And uh, we'll be back with you next week for another LPL Market Signals. Take care, everybody. 
This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.